0: Welcome to Season 6 of Soul Sessions with KK, the Aliyah series. Do you ever wonder how people leave everything behind and make a big move like Aliyah? Meet four brave women from different backgrounds and circumstances who made Aliyah. Some moved to Israel while they were single, and some moved with their families. Whatever their journey, their stories will inspire you to take a little bit of Israel home with you or maybe even consider moving to Israel yourself. If you're thinking about potentially making Aliyah, I highly suggest just starting a conversation with Nefesh nefesh and ask all of your questions. Please note that moving to Israel is a very serious decision that shouldn't be made without proper consultation, research, and strategy. Many have tried and failed, so it's important to do your due diligence. Hopefully, This series of four interviews will cover a lot of important ground. Enjoy the series. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the first episode of the Aliyah series. Meet Jordana Brown, born and raised in Queens, New York, from a classic Ashkenazi Orthodox Jewish family, now an Israeli Ola. She speaks to me about her Aliyah experience and what brought her from New York to Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. Jordana and I get candid about what it's like being single in New York versus being single in Israel. We also discuss being connected to Judaism and God, even if we aren't doing it according to the quote unquote way. Jordana's love and enthusiasm for life bursts through the microphone. Get ready for an interview that'll challenge your preconceived notions about Eretz Israel. I want you to know that this episode can be found on Schmoozy. Click the link and my bio at coach.kk to listen and contribute to the discussion. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am so, so honored to have Jordana Brown here today on the show. I'm so excited. I actually know Jordana because we briefly worked together at Aisha Torah about 10 years ago, and she was a what? majuchah, right? Were you a majuchah, dish? Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, and I was an event planner, and I always looked up to you in a way where I didn't grow up observant. I grew up traditional on a traditional background, and I always saw you as a majuchah, and you were doing Kiruv, And I was always very inspired by your enthusiasm and your passion for Judaism. And I knew I had to get you on the podcast because yes, Jordana is part of my Aliyah series. People who made Aliyah to Israel. She made Aliyah how many years ago? Uh, it is now six and a half years. Six and a half years ago. (laughs) And I knew I had to get her on the show here today. Jordana, welcome to soul sessions with KK. Well, oh, thank you so much. This is like a huge honor. It's like a really big deal for me. It's, it's a really it. big deal for me, especially since you're doing Brown and Be Dude, which oh. We'll explain later. Um, Jordana is currently in quarantine in Israel, and she has a series on her IGTV on Instagram called Brown and Bedouid, and she'll tell you more about that. And yes. Jordana, can you just introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, I love the introduction talking about Aish because it was such a special time in my life.
1: Um, I was very involved before I made Aliyah. I was very involved in Jewish outreach and Kirov. Um, I worked with Aish. I worked with a group called Maor for a short time. And I worked with Birthright. And um, the best part of my volunteering was showing people that being observant and keeping mitzvot was both doable and fun and beautiful and cool uh, and cool. Right. So it's so funny because when I was in, um, when I worked for Aish, I I really presented as much more of like a mainstream from girl. I wore skirts and long sleeves and blah, blah, blah. Um, So, you know, I was like this cool from girl. So it was like you could be you know, someone who was interested in putting yourself together and someone who was interested in music and someone who was interested in books and everything like that, and also be observant. So, um, I filled, I think I filled that niche pretty well. Um, but I don't feel any different in terms of my connection to God now that I'm like less, you know, outwardly from looking, um, I feel just as connected, uh, if not more so
0: now that I live in Israel. So can you explain that uh, transformation? You say that you're outwardly less uh, looking. Sure. So can you explain how that came about? Like what were sure. factors that made the decision? Yeah. I think that,
1: um, and it, this is just as real as we're going to be because I'm not really going to like, you know, sugarcoat it or anything. Great. Um, you like that. I think, I think that um, I became how I was because I went to Israel for the year, which, you know, I went to seminary. And I really fell in love with, you know, observance. And I also really felt like that was the path that I was meant to take. And that was the path that was going to lead me to my husband. And that was the path that my future home was going to take. And um, so it was, it was all, it all made sense at the time. Um, I think that a lot of people, because as you said, that was 10 years ago, so I'm I'm in my 30s now. And I think that when a person is single for a particular period of time, they need to do what works for them internally to maintain the relationship with God that they feel most comfortable with. And it's very easy to say, I'm going to wear X, Y, and Z. I'm going to have this relationship with the opposite sex. I'm going to you know, learn this amount of Torah every day. Um, and I'm going to spend this amount of time in prayer. And it's like a really like beautiful and worthy goal. But I think sometimes life gets in the way. And sometimes the things that you found super, super important at 21, you don't find as important at 31. You kind of have to maintain a sense of balance within yourself So that you can continue to have a good relationship with God. And for me, I never wanted it to be all or nothing. I never wanted it to be, I'm going to do all these things. And then when I'm not, I'm doing nothing. I wanted it to be, I want to maintain a relationship with God that is real and that is sincere, but also live a life where I can, you know, be comfortable being single and, you know, kind of maintaining my sanity in that way. So I think a lot of people, I have a lot of friends who have completely, who have stayed single and completely kind of been uninterested in religion. I have a lot of friends who have stayed single and maintained exactly their level of observance, which I think just think is incredible and call a vote to them. Um, and then I have a
0: lot of friends like me who are, as they say, chilled out, you know? So right. That you can be observant. Are. Uh, but still find your own path, not necessarily following a certain like, journey that's set out for you from the very beginning, like the typical cookie cutter version exactly. that, right. It's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to follow that cookie cutter
1: existence when t- like, your foundation is so not cookie cutter. Being single and observant and Jewish at 30 is not typical you know, I mean, it's, it's becoming much more common, but it's not, it's not the roadmap. It's not what they tell you in seminary. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like what you grow up thinking will happen.
0: So the fact that you are, you have to adapt. Right. Do you think that if you weren't single at that time and you found someone, do you feel like you would have explored your Judaism in the same way that you did today? I think that very much depends on the other person. Uh, When you're single,
1: you don't have to depend on any other person. You don't have to depend on your significant other. and You don't have to depend on your children. Um, So I can just say like my sisters, for example, we were all very much in the same milieu and they got married and they had kids. And so I think that they kind of maintain the status quo much more than I did um, because they married guys who were what they were looking for at the time and they sent their kids to certain schools and that kind of keeps them within that path. And um, had I married, I mean, I know a lot of people who got married and were so Haredi and so religious and ultra-Orthodox and then aren't anymore. Um, So I really can't say where I would be. Um, I can't even say where I'll be, you know, when I do find someone,
0: you know? Exactly. Do you feel that Israel is a better place for single Jewish men and women to explore their individuality and even find a partner? Because, you know, I actually was thinking about this when I was single and I was having a hard time in New York. I didn't feel like the environment was supporting me. And yeah, like I felt like Israel was a better place to support me. Do you, you, what, what are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting question because you're very, you're really
1: on the money there because I think that it's very, it's a different support system. In America, I had my friends from growing up and my family. So they're always a support system that you don't have when you move to Israel. So that support system is gone. So you need to find a new support system. So what you were saying about that, that's totally different. And so like I have friends who came to Israel and wanted to try it out. And they felt that they didn't have, they had friends here and they even had some family members here, but they felt that their support system was in America. So they went back to America. Um, But I do feel like the Upper West Side is not for everyone. Uh, Brooklyn, you know, like Flatbush is not for everyone. You know what I mean? And so you're kind of limited in where you can be a single person in New York. And to, you know, to a large extent, New York is really the best option you have because, even in big cities like Miami, like Los Angeles, like Toronto, you're going to run out of people at some point. You know what I mean? So New York is really your best option in terms of like the pool, the dating pool. And I love Israel because the dating pool includes Jews from all over the world, meaning you're going to get French Jews, you're going to have, I, you know, Australian Jews, Irish Jews, Indian Jews, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to have that in New York as cosmopolitan as it is. As it yeah, is. that's true. So, you know, if you're Bashert, and I put that in quotes because I'm not like the hugest Bashert.
0: Yeah. Later, um, yeah but yeah. if your
1: Bashert is from South Africa, then, you know, you're, you're much more likely to meet him in Israel than you are in New York,
0: in my opinion. Yeah. I also find that Israel is more chill when it comes to, you know, the dating scene. I don't even know if there's like this distinction between singles and married couples and engaged couples. I feel like in New York, there's so much more of that pressure and those boxes that everybody has to be in. You're single, you're engaged, you're dating, you're married, people don't really mingle as much together, whereas in Israel, Everybody is just together. Um, So my question for you is, do you feel less pressure to get married now that you're in Israel? Um, I think that it's a, I think,
1: yes, I do, but that's really a consequence of me as a person. Um, And what you were saying is true to an extent, I think for Olim, for people who've made Aliyah on their own, um, there is less of a pressure because we don't live with our families. I think if you ask the same question to a, per, a girl in their 30s who's Israeli and their family is around yeah. and their community is around them and their bubby, and, you know, their safta is around them, I think that the pressure that I felt in New York, they feel here. Mm-hmm. But since my family's in New York and all of my friends here are single, I don't feel the pressure. I feel like a normal person. And I think that people feel the pressure when they're in you know, New York, for example, because all of their friends are living in Bergenfield. All of their friends are living in Woodmere. They're all together, they're all married, they all have families. And so if you are single, you kind of don't live in Bergenfield, you know? So you're not hanging out with those people to the same extent. Whereas my friends who are married in Tel Aviv
0: live down the block for me. Yeah. So we're living a very like, you know, parallel life. Right. In what ways is the New York dating scene better than it is in Israel? Is it better? (laughs) Is it better? No, I don't, I can't really think of any
1: ways that it's better. I'm going to say that, but I was also like when you're dating at 21 and when you're dating at 31, like regardless, it's going to be different. But I will say like a guy in New York is very like expected to pay for a meal or a drink or whatever. And I will say in Israel, it's much more common for a girl to offer to pay. I'm Interesting. a New Yorker and I'm an American. I would never <laughs> in my life offer to pay. I apologize. It's just the way it is. If someone asked, I would never say no, but I'm never pulling out the wallet. So that's <laughs> definitely a <laughs> differential. Um, but I, I don't. I don't think it's better in any way in New York. I mean, people have cars there, so <laughs> maybe that's better. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you can, you get picked up, but yeah, no, I don't think it's better in any way, honestly. And it's not, it's, this is, this is no shade to New York, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is what it is, you know? I just don't see anything more preferable in America.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, whoever's listening to this is single or married, Let's see if Jordana can convince us to move to Israel. (laughs) Okay. So I think it's a different
1: mentality for someone who's married and someone who's single. So you're definitely going to have like different reasons
0: to move. Right. Um,
1: My reason was Zionism. Yeah. Tell
0: us about your reason. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, Zionism to me means uh, the Jewish imperative to settle in their native homeland, in their indigenous homeland, which is Israel. Um, I believe that the greatest miracle that the Jewish people have seen in the past 2,000 years is returning to their homeland and the fact that we have a Jewish state. I think uh, the Jewish people have prayed for Jerusalem and for Israel for 2,000 years and now it's here and you can come here and they'll pay you to come here and I think it's very weird that People don't want to, are choosing not to. Um, it will never not be weird to me how shocked people are that I made Aliyah, and how really, and this is you know, no offense to anyone, how how little most people I know in America want to make Aliyah. I mean, it, it, it's shocking to me because, but but it shouldn't be because that's how I grew up. I grew up completely uninterested in making Aliyah. So I totally get it, you know, like um, intellectually. So what, what sparked your interest all of a sudden if you didn't grow up with that? It's a good question. So I feel like you and I, probably similar, we grew up uh, pro-Israel. Right? So Israel's great, Israel's wonderful, we support Israel, we support it monetarily, we go visit, we, you know, if God forbid they're ever in a conflict, we pray for Israel, like always extremely pro-Israel. I feel like there's a distinction between pro-Israel and Zionist. And Zionist is wanting to actually make Israel your home. Um, And that change happened for me because I did birthright, I was a counselor on birthright 12 times. And of course, right. Crazy. That surpasses
0: <laughs> my four times for sure. See? <laughs> if
1: I actually won an award at some point for being so uh, wow. So yeah so in the mix um, but now people have totally surpassed me because I stopped doing it obviously. Yeah. Um, but at some point in the middle I was just like this really is less of a like I wish I could and and it became much more real and I gave myself one year because I I really wanted to move with a husband. And I think a lot of people, and I probably, I don't know who your audience is, but I think that there are going to be some people who are watching this or listening to this and thinking, yeah, I would love to move with a husband. And I have to tell you that I hope that works out for you, but I really, really don't think that that should be a motivating factor. Um, it's very likely that your husband is here just because I haven't found mine yet doesn't mean that literally a hundred of my friends who made Aliyah, they all found guys here. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've been to more weddings in the past six years than I was in the six years. I mean, the in the in the twelve years before then.
0: Interesting. So yeah, people are like loving life here. They're doing great. Well, what about with COVID right now? I mean, we hear stories in the media and in WhatsApp groups how dreadful the situation is in Israel and how Israel is literally making it impossible for people to live a normal life there or for people to move to the country. Well, it's so funny because I have
1: this one friend and I love her to bits and pieces. And she constantly says, I can't like, why isn't the country letting me in? Why isn't it letting me in? I want to come visit. I want to come stay. I want to come see if it works. And I said, you're allowed in. If you make Aliyah, all citizens are allowed to be in Israel. So there are people who don't want to pull the trigger and make Aliyah. And I totally understand. They don't want to be, you know, forced to make Aliyah. And I totally get it. But I also understand why Israel is not letting in visitors right now, um, especially considering what you said that we're spiking. I mean, we had 5,000 new cases yesterday and it is really overwhelming. Um, So that's the sad part, right? So they have to do the lockdown so that the, uh, hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Israel is, I I feel like everybody who is listening or watching knows that Israelis do not take direction well. Um, (laughs) They don't like to be told what to do. A lockdown is essentially telling you what you can do, where you can go and how you can live your life. So the first one went really well um, over Pesach because it was this really, really scary disease. The second one did not go well. And then now we're in a third one and it's like really ridiculous. It's a joke. Um, The only, in my opinion, the only people it's affecting and hurting are the store owners and the restaurant owners. It's really, really a sad situation. Um, I really do think that Israel is just buying time until we're vaccinated. And that's, the, that's the glimmer of hope, that's the optimism, because Israel is number one in the entire world by a long shot in terms of citizens who've been uh, vaccinated. Vaccinated, And they hope to inoculate the entire population within two months. Um, so that's a which is please God, you know, the most amazing thing that you can imagine. I mean, not the entire population, but herd immunity said 70 to 80% of the people will be vaccinated by then. And then we can go back to regular life, you know? And that's like, I mean, you know, I'll take a few days of, you know, chilling at home if I can then live my life six to 10 months earlier than the rest of the world, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what makes Israel so special, are the restaurants and the bars and the Mm -hmm. shooks and the people of Israel is what makes people want to go to Israel. I think that people have a valid reason why they're scared to make Aliyah or Mm -hmm. to travel to Israel right now, because if they're like, if I'm going to Israel, I don't want to be stuck in a hotel or an apartment. Totally,
1: totally, totally. I mean, you were were saying how, I was in Vidut, and I have this like series where I talk yeah. about being in Vidut. And so Israel has um, a mandatory quarantine when you come back from the states or anywhere abroad. And um, it was 14 days, and now it's 10 days. So it's amazing. Tomorrow, please, God, will be my last day. God willing, uh, <laughs> really, pray for me. And um, so they do that, and. and then they started this thing called hotel quarantine. So they were sending people to hotels uh, without, do not pass go, do not go home, do not collect your stuff. You have to go immediately to a hotel. So I found that out and I changed my flight so that I would come back to Israel a day, like two days earlier so that I would avoid it. Anyway, if you go to this, the reason that they instituted hotel quarantine, they're not masochists. I mean, some might argue that they are, but The reason is because Israelis are, as I mentioned, not good at following directions. So I read a (laughs) statistic that said three and four or two and three, I'm not really sure, I think it was three and four, three and four Israelis do not follow quarantine when they're home. And that was the fear. The fear was that, you know, there was this new strain coming from England and South Africa and whatever it is. And they didn't want to just punish, you know, Brits and South Africans. So they were going to put everyone in the COVID hotels. Um, I mean, I, I hear it, you know,
0: <laughs>
1: I, I, I know many, 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 many people who have broken quarantine. Um, or do not take it seriously. Uh,
0: I am not those people, but I know them. I mean, that happens in New York and everywhere around America as well. They don't have mandatory quarantine. Right, we don't have mandatory quarantine, but I know, I just feel like it's a Jewish trait I, I, I think that we don't like being told what to do and yeah. we need a fight I mean, if for you think rights. about it, It's very
1: much a, a right-wing American trait as well,
0: you
1: know. Yeah, don't impose on my rights, right? It's, I, and, I, I, and I, you know, my family is conservative, like that's very much the mentality that we've been told, but I'm, I'm very much a believer in and we have to do what's best for, you know, the community and for the people around us and so i get it you know what i mean even though i'm maybe not infected or i'm not doing anything wrong or i'm following all the rules i'm not the you know i'm not
0: everyone yeah so i know in new york it plays out like there's this war between the maskers and the anti-maskers the vaccine people and the anti-vaccine people how does it play out in israel is there I think that there, I think that that exists. I mean, I live in Tel Aviv,
1: so Tel Aviv is often called the bubble. Um, So we don't really um, live life like the rest of the country. We kind of do our own thing in general, like in every way, you know, if most of the country votes, you know, right wing, Tel Aviv is very, you know, aggressively left wing and things like that. Um, If the country is, you know, poor or whatever, like living below the poverty line, people in Tel Aviv are just like, you know, balling out, doing great. Um, right. So in television, so so my perspective is a bit skewed. Um, but there are there are wars, there are fights, there are there's probably two to three protests a week. Yeah. Uh, about masking and. About my friend's things.
0: husband was stuck in traffic two days ago for four and a half hours. That wasn't masking. Oh, that was like something else. Like someone. Yeah. It was a it, was a. it was a. And
1: like someone who who left the army or yeah, like who, yeah.
0: Yeah. I hear so. the police in Israel are like I'm not here so because Israelis really we revere the I the IDF and right. we have major issues with the police. That's interesting so. because in America you kind of see a parallel totally, you know, with this whole like uh defund the police movements. Everyone became anti-police all of a sudden since the whole George Floyd incidents. And now you're seeing something that's going on in Israel. I'm not sure if that's some sort of like, It's it's not against, I mean,
1: people are not really against the police in Israel. I think that there's just a general mistrust of the police. I think the police and thankfully, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a, you know, an Ashkenaz little American innocuous, like rule follower, so I've never really had any issues uh, with the police, but I can see how if someone has had a run-in with the police, it might not have gone well. Um, so I can't, I can't, you know, kind of minimize their experience with the police. I wish that the police, I wish that I had more faith in the Israeli police. I there was one time when I actually had to fill out a report for some a reason. And it was obviously traumatic and I did it. And a week later, I, you know, checked where what was going on with my case and they had closed it without telling me <laughs> and they had not called one person on my behalf. So, you know, I'm not a huge believer in them, but I'm going to still follow all the laws. You no. know what I mean? I'm yeah. not, I'm not. And I certainly, because I'm someone who's so careful about COVID, I'm certainly not protesting COVID, you know, with, 30,000 other people, that's just never gonna be me.
0: Right, exactly. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you don't like about Israel? I know that's a tough question. Um, I mean, I know you say like the police are not your style. I mean, and Israelis don't follow the rules. Is there anything else about Israel that you're like, oh, Um, I'll tell you, you. I, number one,
1: and this is just because I think everything else that I don't like about Israel is workable. Um, So number one for me is being so far from my family. Um, And I think that anyone who moves here without their family, that's going to be the main thing that bothers them. And it's the main thing that will bother them and never stop bothering them. Meaning there's a million things that in the beginning I had issues with that now I don't even notice or think about. But that's the only thing that's really kind of maintained over the six and a half years, like missing your family will never stop. So that's a bummer. Um, I think that what, you, you know, what people want me to say is the economic situation. And I, under, I understand that the economic situation is different than the United States. And some might say worse. Um, but the standard of living and the way people in Israel live is not, makes the disparity seem less meaning. You don't need as much to be happy and comfortable in Israel as you do in America. I have friends in New York who are, you know, collectively making upwards of $200,000 a year and struggling. Okay. That's that insane. is insane 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 so
0: it's like never that, that's
1: enough. insane that's insane to me so you know from that perspective come to israel make your house might be a bit smaller you might have one car instead of two or two cars instead of three but your quality of life is significantly better
0: i i i always hear that like quote your quality of life is going to be better i have friends that say the quality of life here is so much better than new york it's you... not. It's not. It's not rolling your eyes. It's a reality. No. So can you just give me an example of like what that means to you? How the quality of life means better? Okay.
1: Um, I think the easiest way to say it is that everyone around you is your family. You are living in a place where everyone wants you to succeed, to be happy, to be healthy, to be part of the community. Um, everyone is there for you. Like someone, we were talking about the COVID vaccines and someone said, um, I was talking to a friend in America and she goes, you know, I'm very skeptical about the vaccine in America, but not about the vaccine in Israel because in Israel, clearly the government doesn't want their Safda to die. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're not, gonna, they're not gonna do anything to harm, you know, their doctors and their elderly people because it's, we're a family, we're a community, we're a nation. So I think that that's what they mean by quality of life, but also not killing yourself at work and spending a lot more family time and a million parks and the weather is better for so much of the year. I mean, like, I guess, unless you're from Florida or Los Angeles, but you know, the weather is so much nicer and the, you know, every event is geared toward you as a Jewish person. Yeah. Like I remember one of the things that blew my mind was there was a huge festival in the summer in Jerusalem and I went to the food court and I said to my friends, Oh, but like, you know, do they have two dough? which one's kosher? And he said, they're all kosher. You know what I mean? Like that I could go to a mall and eat in any restaurant is crazy to me. That's a quality of life thing.
0: Yeah. Well, what about people who say that in Tel Aviv, it's very hard to find like one kosher restaurant or that it's sometimes very hard to be observant when you live in an area in Israel that is completely secular. So how, so, okay. how do you balance that? So
1: that's a good question. Um, number one, if that person said that, then they haven't been to Tel Aviv in 10, possibly 20 years. So that's first of all. Um, second of all, to a person who it's really important to not live in a secular community, I would say, do not move to Tel Aviv, move to one of the 300 communities that would be better suited to you. Um, But in terms of Tel Aviv, I'm an observant person and I'm a Shomer Shabbat person and I keep kosher and we have a million options of places to eat that are kosher. And we have a million options of shuls to go to. And I mean, you know, you, I probably, became more dedicated to my personal observance once moving to Tel Aviv than I ever was back in Jerusalem.
0: That's so interesting, Jordana. I know. You know, I feel like I'm similar to you in that sense where I, I went to public school my whole life, pretty much my whole life. I left a conservative right. yeshiva in fourth grade. And then I went to public school my whole life. And I always yeah. yearned to be in yeshiva I always wanted to connect to God and I always tell myself like if my parents put me in yeshiva I probably wouldn't be observant today you
1: think so wow I, you didn't have
0: yeah and like I feel like when I'm surrounded by too much Judaism all around me I can't but when I'm able to breathe and I have space and I can see people for who they are and it's not just like Torah, 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 Torah. I have more of a connection to Hashem. A hundred percent. I think in in Jerusalem,
1: you didn't, I lived in Jerusalem for the first um, three and a half years that I lived here. And then I moved here. So when I lived in Jerusalem, I didn't feel, I felt like religion was just all around me all the time. Um, Observance was around me all the time. I never went to shul. When I, so Israel, when I was in Israel, I know it was like, just the, you know, it was just like automatic. And when I moved to Tel Aviv, you have to make a choice and you have to decide, you know, where you're going to go to shul. You have to decide where you're going to eat your Shabbat meals, what you're going to, you know what I mean? Like how you're going to get your food. Um, it's not difficult. It's all around you, but I, you know, before COVID, I went to shul every single week and I used to, I was on, you know, I worked with organizations where we hosted 150 people a week, Wow! So I wasn't, I was, and I certainly wasn't doing that in New York.
0: Yeah, that's so true. What about Israel exceeded your expectations?
1: Exceeded my expectations. That I think you didn't that I expect.
0: I, my expectations are pretty high.
1: Um, so, um, I think the ability to integrate without being fluent in Hebrew. I still, to this day, I came with a basic okay Hebrew to this day. I don't know that it's like good, but it's better. Um, It's certainly not something that I speak all the time, but I think that a lot of people really worry that they are going to flounder if they don't have Hebrew. And I don't think that that's true. I do think that people should if they're interested in moving here should be open to learning and should take an pun and should do Rosetta stone. And you know what I mean? I think that that's really, really important, but I don't think that that should be a deterrent from coming here. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: think that that exceeded my expectations, just the the way that I was able to immerse myself. Um, But all my other expectations were pretty high and met, you know what I mean? Like I expected, people to you know be happy and 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 proud of me for being here and they are i mean israelis think it's absolutely crazy that anyone would ever leave new york i mean they yeah think israelis they, want to move to new york they give me your passport i will go you know and yeah. i'm like okay, no
0: <laughs> yeah We're all
1: staying here together um I, listen i i get why they think i think that the mentality is um money is The motivator, and especially in Israel. And I think that they think that they're going to step off the plane in New York and
0: be a millionaire,
1: throw bags of money at them. Um, Or they go
0: work at the mall.
1: Right. right. (laughs) But they, you know, all of them have an uncle named Itzik who made a lot of money in America. So they think that that's going to happen to them. They're all going to be Itzik, you know? Um, So my expectations were met. I mean, I don't know that anything was like so crazy different than I thought it would
0: be. You know, I read a couple of articles in a magazine, Jewish magazine, I don't remember which one it was. Mm -hmm. And all the articles were geared towards people who wanted to make Aliyah. And the piece of advice that these authors were saying was that have low expectations. Yes, oh my God, that's so funny. That's
1: what I always say. I always say calibrate expectations. Hmm. That's like my number one piece of advice. Calibrate your expectations. because, Yeah, tell us why. You know, you're not going to be on vacation when you move here. And I think that a lot of people who love Israel and love going to the hotel and love going to the beach, you know what I mean? Like, I think that, you know, they think that their life is going to be a big vacation. and, And that's not how it is when you move anywhere. So it's certainly not how it is when you move to Israel. So you need to calibrate your expectations and you need to, you know, fend for yourself. I think one of the best things about moving as a New Yorker is that the mentality of a New Yorker is very similar to the mentality of, a, of an Israeli. We are tough and we are aggressive and we are, you know, we take care of ourselves and those are good qualities some of the time too. Um, so, you know, when someone yells at me or when someone cuts in front of me, I'm okay with it. I can handle it. Whereas someone maybe not from New York might be a little bit taken aback.
0: Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I find the rudeness and the like chutzpah of Israelis, like really rude, (laughs) like, and I'm from New York and I'm used to rudeness left and right, but I find that the attitude and the anger of Israelis is like another level. I mean, it depends, you know, when someone screams at me in Israel, I'm like, mind your manners i'm like sit down say please and thank you like right so it's so
1: it's both it's meaning i don't see it more in israel than it is than i see it in new york but i you know it hits different because it's coming from jewish person and it's not coming from someone from a different you know community than yours so that really tends to bother people when you know like when it's someone from who's Jewish who's yelling at you. Um it's generally not ever coming at you with malice. It's generally coming at you like, you know what I mean? So um It's like bluntness. It's just right, listen, I I tell everybody all the time, like, you know, when I get off a plane, um I gotta I gotta I gotta separate myself from Israelis for a while. You know? (laughs) I gotta take a break. (laughs) <laughs> um but but then after a week or two I miss him right I miss Israel when I when I come to America which is a blessing let me tell you it's a blessing that I never go to America and as wonderful as of a time as I'm having that I ever say I can't believe I have to go back never mm. no I don't think so I mean there are full you know there are it's certainly not in you know the tech world. The tech world is fully functioning in English, um, so often a native English speaker is preferential to someone who just speaks English. For example, um, if you wanted to be a content writer for a startup, uh, generally they want native English speakers so that you know your it sounds like it makes sense to an American reading it, as opposed to you know some translation that from an yeah. Israeli app that you know. Yeah, yeah. Um but pretty cool. yeah. I mean I think there there are a lot more jobs if you're fluent in Hebrew. That's gonna be the case, you know, in general. Right. Um, but the but the jobs exist and there's there are people whose companies can move them and now what we've seen with COVID is that the 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 ability to work remotely is a reality. Yeah. So yeah. now's the time that if someone, you know, got a job where they can work remotely and make it, make, make it work for themselves and for their companies, they should really think about Aliyah as a possibility.
0: Right. In back in America, I know people choose a career based on income and what it's going to do for them. So do you think that, the decisions that go into your career in Israel, is that the same motivating factor? No. Um, It's so funny because you say
1: uh, I was never someone who was dying to be a speech therapist because that was my lifelong dream. And I Mm. think that every speech therapist will be nodding um, to that assessment. Interesting. yeah, nobody grows up thinking that they want to be a speech therapist. It's a nice career when you have it. But um, I decided to be a speech therapist because I was planning to get married at 21 or 22. Good
0: job for being a mom.
1: Yeah, and work part time. I mean, come on. That was, you know, so certainly moving to Israel, that was much less of a motivating factor, especially considering I'm single, you know, and I can, I just really wanted to find something that I was good at that needed me and that could support me. So it's much less, I mean, listen, I have a lot of friends who are trying to climb the ladder and trying to, you know, break the ceiling. Um, my mom, my mom yells at me that I'm not motivated in that way, but I really like a work
0: life balance, you know? Yeah. What can you uh, advise people about how to deal with this different tough mentality of Israel? Um, I would say if you
1: are an an American, specifically, I guess we'll talk to North Americans. Um, I would say if you want to be around Anglo's, choose an Anglo community, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I as a lot of people will tell you, I kind of live in an Anglo bubble. My friends all speak English. Even the Israeli friends I have speak English. Um, So you can move to a neighborhood where kids are being raised like your kids and people speak to each other like you guys speak to each other so that exists in israel there are you know off the top of my head modiin beit Shemesh, most of the pla- most of the neighborhoods in jerusalem tel aviv you can find places um you know hashmonaim efrat i mean these are places that if you want to live in israel but you also need the comfort of living around other anglos there are plenty of options for you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that that's like a nice, soft landing for a lot of people. I mean, there are some people who say, I want to move to Israel and I'm moving to a kibbutz, you know, in, in, uh, you know, Haifa and I'm going to learn and I'm going to immerse myself. And to them, I say, but like, that was never going to be me. I was never moving into a kibbutz to, you know, work the land.
0: Right. When you moved to Israel. So did you have to switch careers? What were you doing in America? And then Did you continue doing that in Israel or? Yeah, no, I did not. Okay, so tell us about that. Yeah. Um, So I worked as a speech therapist for,
1: I have a a master's in uh, speech language pathology. So I was a speech therapist and I was working um, for an agency and I was working in all different types of schools. And then I ended up um, switching fields because as a speech that basically there were a few reasons why I didn't want to pursue speech therapy here one being the language two being the like the differential in terms of how much money you make Um, it's not a motivator here it's not a very well-paid position and also you have to take uh, an equivalency exam Um, so I, I wouldn't, and in Hebrew, so that was not going to happen for me. So you kind of have to pivot and find out what your talents and your strengths are. So if you're a big talker, if you're a good salesperson, you know what I mean? Like kind of figure out what your milieu is going to be, um, and how to monetize that. So I'm a writer. I've always been a writer. I have a blog. I, you know, I wrote for my college, you know, um, newspaper and my yearbooks and everything like that. Um, So I knew that I was going to do something in writing and research. And I work for a company that does marketing for nonprofits in English. Um, So and I also bounced around. When I got here, I worked. I was thinking maybe I was going to be a real estate agent for a time. And I worked for an organization called Shalva, which works with special needs children for the time. And I was giving tours. So I was really trying like find my footing and you kind of have the ability to do that when you start over again you know
0: yeah is it hard for people to find um an english-speaking job in israel what's the saying you're not living to work
1: right you're not living to work you're working to live
0: you're working to live to yeah. actually live not to survive you're right. working to live an enriching life in totally. israel to enjoy myself and to, I certainly, you know,
1: while I'm single and I have this time to myself to be able to kind of like have a good time in the most vibrant city, certainly in Israel and definitely in the middle East and possibly in the world. I you mean, except have- for, except for COVID, except
0: for COVID yeah, you know, except for COVID.
1: <laughs> and I really think that that needs to be like established. Like a lot of people have said, should I move to Tel Aviv? And I said, listen, now it's not the best time. But in general, it's the best. It's yeah. so fun and so wonderful and so great and so worth it.
0: Do you think it's worth it for all these people moving to Israel right now in the middle of the pandemic? Because I know you just said it now is not the time, but so many people have moved to Israel and they're so frustrated and they got such a bad taste in their mouths about Israel because of the bureaucracy and yeah. all these rules. It's hard, it's hard. I mean, you know, Israel definitely has more rules than the
1: states, you know, for the most part. Um, But I do think that we're going to come out of this first. So would I have made Aliyah during a pandemic? Probably not. I probably would have waited.
0: And you're a Um, hardcore Zionist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because you're not getting all the benefits, like, for example, a lot of people make Aliyah in the summer, right? Yeah. And then they get to go to the festivals, and they get to go to the Lights Festival, and the Wine Festival, and the, you know, the Food Festival, and the, you know, what I mean? there's a million things going on that nobody could do this year. So it's a shame, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Your kids, you know, you're putting your kids in a new school with a new language and they're going remote, you know, day three. I mean, that's not optimal.
0: Exactly. Um, So you might as well stay back home. Well, I don't think that's your opinion
1: in America. Um, But yeah, you you might as well move
0: when things are a bit more stable, which hopefully will be soon. I mean, can you give a piece of advice for people who want to make Aliyah? Yeah. Uh, So I said, calibrate expectations. Yeah. Um,
1: Make a list. So on your list, you should have things that you need in terms of information, in terms of firsthand accounts. You need to plan for Aliyah. It's a huge move. It's a huge change. And you need to get as much information and stuff figured out before you get here. Don't get here without a plan. Um, I think that people who fail come to Israel on a whim or come to Israel just based on what their heart tells them. And they don't take it seriously and they don't plan accordingly. And I think that if you want to succeed, I also think if you want to succeed here, stop. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You cannot live in both countries. You have to live in Israel. I mean, you have to, you can't, because if you have one foot in and one foot out, you're going, you're, you're leaving you're leaving. That's just the facts of the matter. I mean, I can tell you. Or you'll I,
0: be miserable.
1: You'll right. Be miserable. And you're going
0: to make everyone around you miserable. Yeah, that's true. I know, I know a few people who have that, had this mentality of having one foot in one foot out, having like a double home. Oh, like, you know, I have a home in New York. I have a home in Israel. And for years. They, don't, they have a, some like they have a vacation home
1: in Israel, but they don't have a home in Israel. They live in America. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, the only people I say can have one foot in and one foot out are like radiologists who work, you know, in America and their family lives in Israel. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can really only live in one country. And certainly if the country is, Amer- is Israel, you have to live in Israel full time because you're always going to be comparing. And that's such a bad way to live. You know what I mean? Like you, you if you commit to a man, you don't also have your ex-boyfriend like in your life. That's just... <laughs> A danger. <laughs> That's a great comparison. I just thought of it. Like, Let's do it again. <laughs> I love that comparison.
0: Right? God, imagine.
1: Jordana, you're, you're very funny. Your too. new house with your husband. You're like, let me just see what my ex-boyfriend does.
0: <laughs> bad, bad, uh, bad news. Jordana, I think you should uh, do some comedy on the side too. <laughs> Guys, check out her series it Brown and Be it. It's very funny, actually. Isn't
1: it going to be so sad when COVID, you know, is over and like still every, you know, everything we do references it. Like every movie that we have and every comedy special that we have, <laughs> it's just that they're going to keep sucking us back into this like nightmare of a year. 2020. You know? Yeah, exactly. I'm so happy that it was 2020 because it's easy to remember. Like when I'm dementia oh, yeah. <laughs> in 80 years, I'm going to remember what year it happened. That's true. I remember it was just my birthday and this is like my favorite story to tell. Like I just had my birthday in B-Dude, my birthday in quarantine. Yes. And you're have... you. Thank you. And we had, um, I remember that someone said to me, are you going to celebrate when you're out of B-Dude? Now I'm going out of B-Dude into a lockdown. So no, <laughs> um, but regardless, I wasn't planning on it because um, I said, I said, remember like when in the early days when people did Zoom birthdays, like in March, April, and May, and they were like, we're going to celebrate your birthday when this is over. And I said, no, we're not because everybody has birthdays and time will move on. And I'm not going to go out for drinks for someone whose birthday was April 17th. You know what I mean? It's it's not going to happen. We'll celebrate your next birthday. But then I said, oh, these poor saps from, you know, whose birthdays are in April and May. That's so sad that their birthday's And I was like, my birthday is not
0: until December. (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna be over. Right, long over, and I'm gonna be. You know, it was not over. Not over. Troisiana, we're gonna wrap it up, but I wanted to ask you a final question. What are your hopes and dreams for the world? Wow, like for the Jewish world, for the world world, for the for you, for your yeah, for. For my world, these are all very different questions. How you see the world. What are your hopes and dreams for what you see in the world? That was like my favorite thing. It's like, I'm just going to ask you one small question. Yeah, I know. It's like huge question.
1: Why are we here? Um, I have to save it for last. (laughs) uh, For the world, world peace. Okay. Um, No, I, I don't think that globally. I really do hope that everyone is healthy and, um, and happy, whatever that means to them. But my real focuses are on the United States and Israel and much more so Israel. I hope that Israel is safe. I hope that Israel comes out from the scourge of COVID. I hope that that's what I hope. I mean, I hope that in a year from now, every country and every part of the world is saying, can you believe that crazy year that we had thank god we're done um you know you hear all these doomsday predictions that you know the governments never going to give control back to us and we're never going to not wear masks and i don't i'm a, an, a, an optimist and i believe that things will get better in that way and then um and then i you know for for the people in my world i wish them health and happiness always um for the jewish world i i wish safety i want to say to the jews of europe and to the jews of north america um you don't be chased here come here because this is your home don't wait until things get so bad which they will or will not don't wait uh to be chased here i tell that to my family all the time they're like you're a bummer um but just I love realize that. that israel is here for you and that and that you know Israel is the people it's made up of. So if it's made up of another 5 million Americans, then it's going to be a lot more palatable to Americans, mm-hmm. you know? And I like the I way you that, put that. I mean, it's, it's even just now, it's so different than how it was 20, 30 years ago because of the influence of the French and of the, uh, you Americans know, the, and Americans and the South Africans and the Australians and the Brits. You know what I mean? Like, it's really like an amalgam of all the, Jews from around the world um and then for my own life I mean you know yeah I, for you for my own life I mean I just hope to continue to be positive about being here and to hopefully be a resource for people who are interested in coming here and to be a resource for single people who want to move here and maybe one day to be a resource for married people and I'm mothers, at. and you know um and I and I just want to to be um a good representative of Enola you know
0: and you made a very good impression on me and I'm oh. sure whoever is listening has a very great impression of you. Oh. I learned so much from you thank you for sharing your life story I mean not your whole life story but <laughs> a small snippet of it and for sharing the beauty of Israel. And that it's a beautiful place to live in. And even beautiful. though it has its challenges. Totally. totally. And totally. setbacks. But America has so many challenges. We're just used to them. They're
1: challenges that we grew up with. And right. so we've kind of become resigned to them. So these are just different challenges.
0: that you Different have challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jordana, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Oh, okay.
1: Um, So I am on Instagram. I am at Jordana underscore Brown. Um so if you have any questions you can definitely find me over there. Um I'm Jordana Brown on Facebook. Um you'll probably go to my others folder but I'll try and notice you. Um I look like this in my profile picture for the most part but it's like the best picture I ever thought you for me on you know Jay's wife and Bumble no I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Where's your blog? How can people access me? I have a my blog, yes, that was the last my blog is um Jordana takes tel Aviv It used to be Jordana in Jerusalem, but now it's Jordana takes tel Aviv And I think it's it's funny, it's cute.
0: Very nice. Jordana, so, thank you so much for being here. For having me. What a what an honor. It I was, think I really appreciate it. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a review, subscribe and feel free to reach out with feedback and questions. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk and check out the link in my bio. Let's connect.